Imagine waking up and feeling ready to face the day with a smile, having more energy for your work, family and social life, fitting into your jeans and feeling good about your body, knowing what to eat and enjoying your food without guilt or confusion, dealing with the stress of daily life in a way that doesn't fry your chips and best of all, feeling relaxed, optimistic and in control of your health. It's all possible. I will show you how. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, energized life with Straight Talking Natural Health, a no BS, tell it like it is wellness show, brought to you by qualified naturopath and functional medicine practitioner, Jules Galloway. That's me. Today's guest is the founder and clinical director of Natural Fertility Breakthrough, a business dedicated to helping couples create healthy babies. Woo! Her superpower is blending evidence-based science into a holistic and supportive approach to fertility treatment. And how's this for qualified? You ready? She holds a Master of Science in Medicine, Reproductive Health and Human Genetics from Sydney Uni, a Bachelor of Health Science, and is trained in numerous disciplines, including naturopathy, nutrition, herbal medicine, counselling, mind, body, and energy therapies. She's even, don't laugh yet. (laughs) She's even undertaking a clinical research program at Harvard University to widen her focus on running clinical trials and further research in her area of expertise. With all of this behind her, she works with women who previously struggled with years of infertility and recurrent miscarriage and helps them to overcome fertility issues even when other treatments have failed. Yep, she's one of those people who likes the complex cases. She's written books. She's been featured in major media publications, including the Daily Telegraph and magazines such as Woman's Day, New Idea. And she's also featured in Bella Zanesco's book, Smart Girls Screw Up Too. You may remember Bella from our interview in Shiny Healthy You, episode number 59. So with that sort of pedigree, I thought I'd better get her on the show so that we could talk about all things fertility and baby making. So even if you're not making a baby right now, stick around because we'll have plenty of tips for keeping your reproductive self healthy. Please welcome to the show, the wonderful Gabriella Rosa. My goodness, <laughs> I had to laugh halfway through that because I was like, oh my God. Everyone always laughs halfway through, seriously. <laughs> it's because, you know, it's so, it's so funny. I think people are not quite used to being, you know, introduced in such a way, in such a wonderful fashion. So thank you. Thank you for the wonderful introduction. You're welcome. It's what I do. All right. So tell me why you're so passionate about fertility. How did you end up being in this niche? It's such a good question. And, you know, I don't have a good answer for you, to be honest. Oh, that's it. You're <laughs> off the show. That's it. That's All right. it. Bye. Anyway, everyone, please thank Gabriella for being on the show. Goodbye. Oh, no, no. I actually, it's funny because it was never something that I thought, you know, at the start I was just very, very, um, non-emotional about the decision it was just kind of like I knew that I wanted to be very good at one thing you know and I didn't have a particular thing that that was in fact I actually wanted to specialize in pediatric type work uh, as a naturopath which I'm also uh, qualified in I wanted to make sure that I could help people who I love babies and that was kind of my whole idea you know to begin with and at the time when I was uh, starting to become 
a naturopath. I was working for an obstetrician gynecologist. I worked for him for many, many years. And one day I said to him, I said, Jim, I want to specialize in pediatrics. He goes, oh, that's a bad idea. I was like, oh, thanks for the encouragement. <laughs> you know, I thought, this is great. He goes, no, 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 no. You see, your patient is not your patient. Your patient is your parents' patient. Your patient can't talk. You don't know what's going on. It's a bad idea. I was going to do pediatrics when I was deciding to do gynecology. And I thought, it would be better to speak to someone who can tell me what's going on. So in the end, that kind of, you know, that hit home. I was thinking, actually, you know what, he has a very good point. And so I then decided that pediatrics was not going to be the best approach. And one day I was walking to complete my millionth, you know, clinic hour, as we have to do these, these uh, kind of, you know, residency type thing. Um, and there was this little flyer, A4, on this wall about doing extra clinic hours to speed up the process in a natural fertility clinic. And I thought, that's it. I'm just going to specialise in fertility. And literally, I started, this was kind of year two out of four of my degree, and I decided that I would start focusing everything, you know, that I was learning and doing in my qualifications towards fertility. So I even did a couple of postgraduate courses that I got permission. You know, I got special permission to do a postgraduate course in fertility before I finished my initial degree. And that's essentially what I focused on day one. And then I think what happened about 15 years down the track was that I became passionate about it. You know, it was, it was the really seeing what was happening and how it was happening and the changes that would help people on so many levels um i thought okay this is actually pretty amazing and you know after you, you were told or i was told many 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 times that i had been instrumental in helping couples have babies where everything else had failed and you know they they were it was their last resort and the wits end and all of that kind of thing i decided that actually you know this is pretty cool this is pretty cool and I started then doing the Fertility Challenge uh, program, which is an event that we run online. And um, probably about after we had done it for the 15th time or something, we had taken about 45,000 people. Was it when it really dawned on me, you know, how powerful this really was and how much it was changing people's lives and, you know, what it was doing for the community at large of people who were going through this, this process of infertility, which is so, so challenging. We're about to take our 70th, uh, you know, 70,000th person uh, through the Fertility Challenge coming up soon. And, and that's, you know, it's very rewarding to see the difference that we're making in the world, really. So I think the passion has come much later down the track, you know, which is interesting because sometimes, you know, it's the passion that gets you started. I was, was always passionate about helping people but um, not specifically necessarily fertility. And, and then it just became this, you know, it, it, it stole me, I have to say. 70,000 people. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you, know, you know, when you say that, though, I can only think of one thing, and that is why are so many people needing this? Like what mm. is going wrong out there that 70,000 people came to you for help? Yeah, look, you know, it's a really great question and I think that there are various things to this question. One is the fact that it's something that's being talked about a whole lot more, right? I think that also population and our connectivity has increased uh, substantially. And what happens is that, you know, as a result, you're able to find people who before you did 
didn't really even know were experiencing this problem, even though one in six couples is infertile. And that statistic has been that for you know a long time. It hasn't really changed. So it's not that we have more people necessarily being infertile, although I think that there is definitely, it is a condition on the rise to a certain extent and lifestyle factors and environmental factors play a huge role. But it's something that I think we're, we're talking more about, we're more open about it. And we're now starting to understand that there are things that you can do, you know, that people can do, that can, people can put in place to optimise their chances. I think IVF has become obviously the standard, you know, uh, standard treatment in this area. However, in my opinion, although I absolutely love IVF, I think it's a miraculous technology and there are some couples who will never conceive without it. I think it's ridiculously overused. I think that, you know, it's basically a licence to print money uh, in, a, in a variety of contexts. And I think that, you know, it shouldn't be that way, to be honest. And this is really why there is the whole reason that I'm, you know, gone to Harvard to do the clinical research program and, you know, doing my master's in, in public health there starting next year is very much because of this, because I want to change this paradigm that, you know, a couple who's experiencing difficulty conceiving goes to a GP after six or you know several months of trying and literally are not even asked a question about any of their lifestyle habits or diet or anything are simply written a referral to go and have IVF right and then absolutely absolutely and then when that fails once two three times they're told oh don't worry just keep going it's a numbers game Right. There used to be that the uh, Fertility Society of Australia used to have a, you know, you, you need three IVF cycles to conceive and now they've increased that to five. You know, God knows when they're going to increase it to 10 or 20. But uh, I hope that certainly that is not going to happen in my lifetime and that I'll be able to make a difference to that conversation because it's, it's one that really needs a different conversation. I can almost not speak right now. I'm like, what (laughs) like seriously so so talk to me about some of the people that you would rather get hold of before they went down the IVF path like what sort of people do you you know what have they got going on that that you could help with that would prevent them having to have IVF yeah that's a fantastic question so look here's the thing a couple at peak fertility has an average of three months' time to pregnancy, okay? So if after all is said and done, if there's nothing wrong, everything is great, you have sex, you get pregnant, have a baby, done, goodbye, now we have sleepless nights for a whole other reason. Right? <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and that's just how it should be. Now, when that doesn't happen, when there is a minor factor or, you know, an impediment to fertility, as I like to call it, anything that is an impediment to general health typically is going to be an impediment to fertility. And so whenever we find, you know, some of those factors, and it might be hormonal imbalance or polycystic ovarian syndrome or endometriosis or sperm parameters that are out of balance, you know, we perhaps have got slow motility or morphology that is not where it needs to be or count, whatever it may be. Uh, You pick one of those and you add it to the equation, all of a sudden we go from an average of three months' time to pregnancy to an average of two years, right? Then you get a second minor factor into the equation. Again, pick any of those or anything else you like, insulin resistance, you name it. There are lots of different things to choose from. Uh, you, you get a second minor factor into the equation. All of a sudden, we go from an average of two years to seven years average time for pregnancy. And a third minor factor gives us an average of 40 years time for pregnancy. 
Now, obviously, we know no one has 40 years to get pregnant. So really what we need to do is we need to understand exactly what's getting in the way. You know, what are the issues that we need to be aware about, that we need to address in order to optimise health and therefore optimise fertility. So that is the place where so many couples I see, you know, I've been in this for about 20 years, I, I see that most couples get stuck on their fertility journey, not because of what they discover along the way, but because of what they don't know they don't know. You know, it's, a, it's really paradoxical, but it's the truth. You know, they don't understand the things that are getting in the way that are negatively impacting their situation. And so they continue doing those things because they don't see that there's anything else that they can do. They haven't been educated in any other way. So then what happens is that for a while they keep going around in circles, you know, and some of these couples unfortunately run out of time altogether as a result of that. And so really the job, as I see it, is that no couple, ideally, no matter how, you know, young or advanced uh, in age they are because really fertility is not an age. Of course, you know, there are aspects of ageing that will negatively impact sperm and egg quality, but there are also things that people can do like having a healthier lifestyle, avoiding smoking, drinking, you know, um, sexually transmitted diseases, uh, drugs, you know, all of these different types of environmental toxins. You know, I mean, we don't understand the fact that, you know, there are so many things that we put on our skin, for example, that are specific endocrine disruptors. And what's happening with those is that they are embellishing the ability of, of the body to optimise what is there. And, of course, that will negatively impact the whole outcome of having a baby. So, you know, when we, when we don't know what we don't know or what we start to discover um, is not really clear in our mind as to how that's actually impacting the situation. We don't do anything about it. And that's where the time passes and we eventually run out of time altogether. You know, so I think that any couple that is wanting, wanting to conceive and hasn't conceived in that first three months needs to be having a very deep look into, okay, what are the things that I can be looking at and doing and improving and optimising that will help me towards my outcome, even if they decide that they're going to do IVF or that they're going to do any other form of ART, assisted reproductive techniques or, you know, technologies, because unless they do that, they're not giving themselves the best possible chance of even that working. You know, one of the things, for example, that a lot of people are unaware about is the impact of their weight, of their body fat, you know, and uh, being overweight on the ability of not only conceiving naturally, but how it negatively impacts IVF cycles, for example. You know, there, is a, there are many statistics in terms of this, but, you know, it's, it's less than half of cycles with women who are obese actually will ever be successful from the outset. Yeah. And yet, you know, there are some doctors who will say, go away, lose 20 kilos and come back. And there are others that say, oh, no, no, this is not going to work for you. But they don't actually give you a tool or a strategy to address it, right? And, you know, even though we all know, yes, you should eat less and exercise, I mean, that really isn't cutting it. There are many more things to it than that. And, in fact, it's quite interesting because right now we're running a clinical trial from, you know, founded an institute, the Rosen Institute, for running clinical research. And we're doing one of our projects right now is exactly on this. You know, it's, it's on weight loss and fertility and looking at specific ways of balancing hormonal levels in order to not only drop weight but balance and normalise what's going on in terms of 
reproductive and metabolic hormones to optimize fertility. And already we're seeing some amazing results, you know. So it's there are so many things people can do, they just don't know it. Yeah. Oh my God. So many things that you said there. <laughs> we could turn this into like a ten part series. You need your own, have you got your own podcast? You need your own All right, yeah, it's easy to be on other people's, believe me. <laughs> I, I believe you. <laughs> So talk to me about like what are the themes that you say that you see again and again like you mentioned PCOS you mentioned endometriosis are, are these the the leading reasons why you you think people are infertile or having trouble with with conceiving or is it something else entirely No look it's actually something else entirely and typically it's unexplained and that is the biggest cop out of all cop outs if you ask me you know, because what happens is that whenever you have something that's unexplained, well, if you don't know what's causing it, then how do we know that IVF is the best way for it, right? Mm. And so, and this is essentially how it, things actually are moving uh, in the direction of, in terms of fertility treatment. It's like, well, yes, you can't conceive. Oh, we don't really know why. Oh, let's not bother looking into why. Let's just go into IVF, right? So it's, I think that there has to be a middle ground, you know, I think that there has to be an area and a place where people take responsibility, people are educated to do better in terms of what's going on, and then, of course, you know, do something about it, but also in combination with and the support of their doctors, investigating further. I mean, you know, if you look at the workup for a couple to do IVF, it's basic. It's, you know, we're looking at major infections, we're looking at you know, sometimes doctors don't even do, it's like they do baseline hormones only, you know, maybe your FSH, your LH, your estrogen, your progesterone, if you're lucky. They don't really test much more than that. And the men, if they get a sperm analysis, it's like, wow, you know, they, they typically will not have any bloods done. And, you know, there will be no other questions asked in terms of optimum general health, right? So I think that, when we're dealing with a situation that is unexplained and we do nothing to aim to understand it further and explain it, then we are leaving a whole lot to chance, right? And, and as I like to say, we're leaving many, many stones unturned. And in terms of our treatment and the reason why we get results and get success with couples who have tried previously what they thought was everything is that... We look further, we dig deeper, you know, like I've had patients who had gone through 20 failed IVF cycles and these were not transfers, you know, these were full stimulated IVF cycles and until we understood exactly what was happening and we addressed that, nothing happened. But then once we did, within nine months of treatment, they actually conceived naturally with her own eggs and, you know, all the doctors after 20 IVF cycles were going out, you need donor egg, it's, your egg is the issue. And that wasn't the truth, you know, that wasn't at all what was going on. On. There were many other factors that were going on and we needed to address them. But, you know, it's looking at it from that lens of asking better questions and, and getting answers, not just rushing into a procedure because a woman is, you know, 35 in one day. And so, you know, it, it, there's a whole lot of areas that need to be looked at. And I think also age, you know, the, the context of age and infertility is at best a fraught you know of course aging is going to have an impact as i mentioned earlier is going to have an impact on 
the ability of the body to regenerate and to do the things that it needs to do in terms of replication and division and, you know, cellularly speaking. Um, and so, of course, we need to be supporting the body to do those things in the best possible way, and that does get impacted with time. But it's not the only factor. You know, I've had many women who have come to me over 40 who were told, you know, nah, sorry, this is never going to happen, who then go on and, and put in place the things that are necessary as a couple because fertility is a team sport, and then, you know, they can they conceive naturally. And, you know, it's even more important, I think, that this is such an important thing to consider. You know, when couples say to me, well, you know, if there was one thing that you would recommend or when people ask me, you know, if there was one thing that you recommend for people to improve their fertility, what would it be? And I only always ever come back to one thing which is act pregnant now to get pregnant later, right? Because oh, love it. absolutely, it's so essential. And you see, it has to encompass both partners because, as I said, fertility is a team sport. If we have a woman whose egg quality is already below par, given that it's the egg's almost full responsibility to improve the DNA issues of the sperm, right, leave it to women to do the job, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what happened that, sorry, Jensen, just, you know, just teasing as I can. All right, there's only like one man who... <laughs> oh, that's, that's good then. <laughs> but I said the wives are all going to make their husbands listen to this one. Yeah. So, absolutely. So, um, so, you know, what happens is that if equality is already below par, what needs to happen is that we have to have the absolute best quality sperm that ever was right, to fertilise that egg so that that egg doesn't have to work as hard to optimise and improve the quality of that sperm and therefore embryo that gets developed thereafter. And that is often what gets, you know, kind of almost thrown to the wayside because doctors will focus completely on, oh, yeah, it's your eggs. You need, you need, you need eggs. You need better eggs. You need, you know, younger eggs, whatever it is that they are going to tell you. You're too old, you're too this, you're too that. Oh, bollocks. You know, like if you don't have... <laughs> So true. If you don't have good quality sperm to fertilize an egg, you can go and do donor egg and you're still going to end up with a pregnancy or baby at the end of that, right? And it's still very much a possibility. So, of course, we want to make sure that we are giving a couple the very best possible chance in every way to not only improve their chances of conception, but, of course, of taking a healthy pregnancy to term and having a healthy baby. And that's not going to happen by one person taking full responsibility of the whole process. It's really that simple. And when it comes to, you know, the, the recommendation of acting pregnant now to get pregnant later, what happens is that, you know, let's imagine for a moment, and, and the, the women who have made their husbands listen to this podcast now. Hi, boys. Hi, hi boys. Exactly. Hi, Jens. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, what I would like you to do, Jens, is think about it from this perspective. Let's just imagine for a moment, right, that... You could be pregnant. I know that the population of the world would diminish overnight, but, you know, let's just go along that for a little moment. And let's imagine that if men could get pregnant and, you know, it was like a 50-50 thing, right? Let's think about if you were pregnant right this second, right, what are all of the things that you would absolutely start doing or stop doing to give your baby the best possible start in life? The blokes right now are all like, does that mean I have to give up beer? <laughs> well, would you drink if you're pregnant right now? Let's just think about that. Given the fact that, you know. <laughs> Somewhere some bloke just went, 
Like <laughs> I'm leaving now. <laughs> I don't really want a baby all that much. Yeah. <laughs> and look, you know, that sometimes happens and that's cool because at least then we know that we're not barking up the wrong tree, right? Mm. And also, you know, look, in all seriousness now, I think that this whole situation of having a baby and obviously starting a family is something that really needs to be considered from uh, two parties in a view. And if one person is going to push it all along and the other person doesn't really want it, but it's just going along for the ride, we're going to end up with issues down the track, right? And I've seen this many times. And so, you know, it's, it's, this is a good opportunity also to have a conversation of how much do you really want this, right? And how much do you actually, how much are you willing to do in order to get this? I think those questions are very important questions. But let's backtrack to our little example of men being able to get pregnant and all the things that they would start doing or stop doing and women as well if you were pregnant right now you see a woman the second that she's pregnant she is looking at every single thing in her environment and asking is this going to hurt my baby yeah she's coffee alcohol yeah exactly can i drink this can i do that do i need to have you know supplements do i need to you know like she already has scoped out every possible thing in her environment in her life to ensure that she's carrying a healthy pregnancy to term. She won't even get out of the bed if somebody tells her that, no, you shouldn't move, right? And so what happens is that right now, in this very moment, there are things that if you were pregnant this second, you would start doing and you would stop doing. The key aspect is that right now within you, whether you're a woman or a man, 50% of that little baby that you want to create is already there. And so with that in mind, we need to be very careful and considered about the things that we start doing and that we stop doing to nurture that 50%. Because that is what's going to ultimately improve and optimise our chances of not only creating a healthy baby uh, and a healthy pregnancy, but taking home a healthy baby. Yeah, I just had that moment as well when you were talking about you know, if, if a woman knows she's pregnant, she's like, boom, she's off all the things and she's checking all the things and doing all the things. I just realized like, it's not until there's another life involved Ooh. that we start caring for ourselves. Yeah. And how dodgy is that? Yeah. Yeah. It's very dodgy. <laughs> like, you know, even if you weren't trying for a baby or had no intentions of having a baby anytime soon, like maybe there's something in that, like, Maybe you should be looking after yourself sometimes as if you did have a baby inside you because that, that, may, that might be how a lot of people should be looking after themselves. Look, I think that overall, if yeah. you know, that is not the way we're looking at ourselves or taking care of ourselves, eventually we're going to have to deal with the consequences of that. Uh, and the truth is that most people don't. Most people aren't looking at the long term. They're looking at the immediate gratification of you know, eating junk food and what that makes them feel like in that moment. And this is very much part of what we're tackling, you know, in terms of our research because often what we are starting to see and, we're, and certainly uh, there's a mounting evidence of research proving and showing that mindfulness has a very big impact on these impulses, you know, that typically will cause us to binge, eat, drink, you know, and do things that essentially aren't good for our health. Right. And so looking at it from that prism and that perspective certainly gives it another dimension because when we're looking at having a baby, you're very right. You know, all of a sudden it's, it becomes 
more than just us, you know, it becomes that we, we are custodians of another life and therefore it's like we have to do this for the, for the betterment of our life. But if we were to consider that by eight weeks gestation, a baby's health blueprint is set for the rest of their life, right? All of their little organs, all of their little fingerprints, they're, they're all set. It's just literally only growing from there, right? Wouldn't it be a different context? Because if we were to consider the fact that, you know, women are born with all the eggs they will ever have, in order to optimize the quality of those eggs, there are two major developmental phases. You know, there's from the primordial follicle, which is what we're born with, the primary follicle takes about four months. And then from primary follicle to ovulatory follicle takes another four months. And then, of course, you know, that very early stage of pregnancy, the time to optimize a child's life is not when you actually get a pregnancy, a positive pregnancy test. It's at least four to eight months prior to a pregnancy is even in place. That is what is really, you know, giving your child the best possible start in life looks like, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting because uh, I don't think we count backwards in that way and start looking after ourselves enough. Mm, I agree. I agree. And then, you know, I mean, this is one of the benefits, I guess, of infertility, right? Because that forces us to have to do that. It's like it's not a, it becomes a forced, you know, optimization. And that's why also I don't believe that IVF should be the first resort. Because if it is, we're trying to bypass nature twice, right? The fact that we didn't consider to begin with and then we're trying it again without actually doing the work. Yeah. And so I don't think that that's going to do marvellous things for the gene pool down the track. And I think that, you know, looking at what we can do to optimise things and ideally avoid intervention when possible right, is really a much smarter way of going about things. Yeah, it's like you've moved from driving down a normal road onto a superhighway, but you've still got the same crappy car and yeah. you're expecting it to be a better outcome. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. Talk to me about stress because, mm. like, it's so huge. It's so huge. And the stress of trying to conceive is massive and yeah. we've all heard the stories you know those stories about the couples who tried for years and years and mm. then they suddenly stopped trying mm. they felt less stress and then boom they had a baby yeah. um, is in in what other ways can stress uh affect not just fertility but like the outcome in terms of having a healthy child mm. no look it's a great question the reality is that our body still works very much like it did ten thousand years ago right, where the main focus was to run away from the saber-toothed tiger. It's like, you know, as long as you're safe, um, then things work in the way that they need to work. So, you know, when the saber-toothed tiger is running after us, what are the immediate things that happen? Well, essentially blood flow, nutrients and all resources get focused on the organs and systems that are immediate, most important and immediate for warding off immediate danger, right? And so anything else that is not going to support that gets shut down. So digestion, well, why would you want to digest your food when you're about to become food, right? Immunity, well, the little bug inside you isn't going to quit, kill you as quickly as the one running after you, so just shut it down and just get going. And, of course, fertility, you wouldn't even dream of wanting to, you know, have a baby or even lie down for one <laughs> if, uh, if you were running away from the temperature tiger. You know, you want to save your tush. So basically <laughs> what that means, it completely shuts down anything that is not brain function, muscles, and just run. 
and adrenals, right? So what happens is that with time, um, the response that our body has hasn't changed very much, but the input has. So, you know, now we get stressed like that by having a paper cut, you know, or, you know, having to do a presentation in front of, you know, the, the, the peers or having to, you know, perform in some way, whatever it is. And so the body goes to, still goes into that fight or flight mode and it doesn't have a lot of time to just kind of like recalibrate and slow down and focus on the things that are not necessarily essential but that will give us a better outcome. And so what ends up happening is that we never really have the time to regenerate in the way that ideally we would like to. And so that's where, what stress does ultimately it starts to break things down from the edges so to speak right it kind of keeps the core focused but you know you start to notice that things start to break down now the the truth is that stressing about stressing is definitely not going to be helpful right Mm -hmm. and the key here is to do things that are going to support biochemistry in the best possible way, taking care of yourself, you know, learning how to, obviously exercising, learning how to manage that stress in a better way, whether it's by, you know, having some counselling or um, cognitive behavioural therapy or mindfulness, meditation, yoga, whatever it is, you know, your favourite hobby. You know, I know for myself, I went through a period with my second son, I had to kind of, I've got polycystic ovarian syndrome. Uh, So for me, it was always a known thing that uh, balancing cycles and having regular cycles is really a very difficult thing. And, of course, that conceiving as a result of that, certainly the the doctor who diagnosed me when I was 18 years old who told me that you have polycystic ovarian disease and you're never going to have a baby, um, didn't do a very good job at explaining that that wasn't always the case. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, it, um, it took me some time to kind of, reconcile all of that when I was then trying to conceive. I mean, I applied what I know and what I teach my patients and I was able to conceive with my first son first time after doing my implementation of all my own recommendations and with my second son after my periods regulated again because it was a period of about 18 months where between my weaning of my first and then being able to get pregnant with my second because of that, you know, PCOS and regularity of cycles and getting all of that back in order, it took quite a long time. And at that point I was stressing because I was thinking, oh, my God, you know, like I wanted to be pregnant 17 months ago and here we are still, you know, six months down the track, no regular periods, 12 months down the track, still no regular periods, you know, almost 18 months down the track, and it's like, oh, my God. So then in the end, when my periods finally regulated, it was actually second try, right? But what happened was that I was becoming one of my patients, right? And, and by that, I mean, so utterly focused on the outcome and so very stressed about the lack of outcome. Right. And so I decided, okay, this is not going to be helpful for anybody. So what am I going to do about this? And I decided to take up quilting. (laughs) (laughs) Of all things, me and my 80-year-old friends, we had (laughs) the greatest of times, um, you know, in our quilting classes. It was amazing. And, you know, that completely, that got me in the moment. It got me focused on a project, something that I was creating. And it was wonderful. And, you know, after about a year of doing quilting and almost having completed a quilt, then I finally got pregnant. And it was like, oh, this is great, you know. 
and it, it certainly could have been a whole lot more stressful and I could have ended up being um, making myself, you know, a whole lot more miserable if I hadn't decided to change the approach. And I think, and this is something that I recommend to all of my patients now, you know, having experienced it, having gone through it, it's something that I, I say, you know, we've got to focus on what is it that's going to make you happy right now. Let's go do that whilst we do everything else. Right? And, and that's really key because that's how we manage that stress response. Of course, you know, we also manage it by making sure that we've got our biochemistry in order, that we are eating well, that we're taking our nutrients, that, you know, we're doing the exercise to burn off those, you know, so better, for lack of a better word, those excess uh, adaptogenic hormones. But really it's about looking at the whole context, and looking at the, the, the situation as a whole as opposed to wanting to go, oh, my God, I'm stressed and now I'm stressing about stressing and now I'm not going to get pregnant because I'm stressed. You know, like it's too much. Like take a deep breath and let's just find some other ways. Yeah, it's a bit like what you were saying before about treating your body as if you're already pregnant in order to get pregnant. It's almost like you have to have that mindset as well of if I was pregnant, like, would I take time out for mindfulness or quilting or something? Of course you would because people would be like, oh, it's good for the baby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So it's about counterintuitive but so very obvious if you think about it that you want to be living your life in a way that's going to enhance the chances of keeping a healthy pregnancy determined, taking home a healthy baby, you know, before you actually even get pregnant. Yeah, it's almost like the harder you run at that goal, the further away it gets. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. true, so true. Yeah. What other issues do you see in your practice? I was actually wanting to pick your brain a little bit about estrogen dominance and, and what's going on with that at the moment in, you know, with women everywhere. Yeah, look, estrogen dominance is a, a very big issue and has been a very big issue for a long time. And I think that it's not going to go away. And the reason is that so much in our environment is estrogenic, right? From the chemicals that we use, like I said, you know, most of our cosmetics to plastics, you know, plastics everywhere. It's impossible these days to avoid plastics, you know, and, and those are very estrogen uh, dominant type uh, compounds because they are. Plastics are undoubtedly estrogenic. Chemicals that we use, you know, perfumes, for example, fragrances, any of those types of things, and they're everywhere, you know, from your laundry detergent to your, you know, um, shampoo to, you know, whatever it is that you put on your skin. So having to rethink all of that is, is so key. And then this is part of what I teach people in the Fertility Challenge, which is a free event that we run every four months or so, is understanding and recognising where these things are coming from. Because without that education of understanding how it's impacting you and what it is that you need to do about it, you just keep exposing yourself further. Uh, you just keep exposing yourself more and more. And that is a really big problem because it's not only impacting women now, it's also impacting men. Part of the reason as to why sperm count has decreased in the last, you know, 50 years from 1990, they had seen a 50% decrease in sperm count is very much an environmental factor, you know. So we have to be aware that these estrogenic components in our environment are impacting our fertility as, you know, a couple, not just women. And women, of course, are suffering even more because of conditions such as endometriosis, fibroids, you know, all of these different aspects are food source 
is also contaminated, you know, proteins. And, you know, the answer is definitely not go vegetarian, by the way, because <laughs> that just, you know, again, increases the amount of estrogens that are in the food because of all the processing and the chemicals that are used in the processing. But, you know, we have to be more careful. We have to definitely, uh, pesticides are also estrogenic, you know, and that's where I, making sure that you're washing your fruits and vegetables very, very well, ideally buying organic wherever possible. You know, all of these things will definitely make an important difference. I'm glad you mentioned the vegetarian thing because I also wanted to pick your brain a little bit about the right diet. And oh. I know as a naturopath, there is no one diet that's going to help everyone. That's what makes our jobs so fascinating and, and, and so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but are there some, you know, like, are there some things that you do with everyone? Like, do you get people off gluten? Do you get people off dairy, uh, mm-hmm. caffeine, coffee, detox diets? Yeah, absolutely. Look, we don't do detox diets. We do a healthy lifestyle, right? And so basically, yes, I make sure that all my patients are gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, obviously making sure that they're also avoiding coffee and alcohol. In fact, we're working right now on our website. There's a free resources section where we've created some amazing infographics, you know, on all the latest scientific research on all of these factors that we talk about. You know, and um, and one of them is on coffee, caffeine. Uh, there's another one right now on dairy and um, and gluten, and we're just releasing a new one on alcohol shortly, and a whole lot of other ones as well. But basically, what I know for sure is that when we're dealing with couples who have been trying to conceive for two years or more, immunological aspects will be a, a, a key aspect to look at. Right, and anything that increases inflammation that makes the immune system overreactive, we want to be, you know, simplifying the job of the body and its biochemistry as much as possible. And so we try to make it simple by basing meals of vegetables and protein wherever possible. Vegetarians absolutely hate me because I don't like it. <laughs> and you know, look, at the end of the day, I was a vegetarian for twelve years, right? And so I become very um, I have the authority to speak on the behalf of most vegetarians. Most vegetarians don't eat well, right? They hardly even eat vegetables. And so what ends up happening is that they start supplementing food with, you know, fake stuff like, you know, God knows, soy things that are... <laughs> the, the not, not sausages, not sure what they yeah, are. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Let's just put cardboard in there and, you know, yeah. let's pretend with a whole lot of flavourings and, you know, whatever else. Mm. So the reality is that that is definitely not good and or they rely too much on carbohydrates like pastas and starchy foods and all that and therefore they balloon out. And for the women who have irregular cycles and or who um, already have you know, issues that get, then get triggered, you know, by those types of things and, you know, again, triggering PCOS and other issues, thyroid function or dysfunction, you know, so if you name it, there's a whole lot of issues with it and what happens is that amino acids, essential and non-essential, are paramount for healthy egg quality and sperm quality. And what happens when people are vegetarian, they become skewed in the right balance of amino acids to optimise egg and sperm quality and so in, in my clinic if i ever hear the word vegetarian god forbid or vegan um we have to have a conversation about not necessarily starting to eat meat but we have to test further we then have to test the amino acids we then need to make sure that we've got you know a proper customized 
amino acid base that they need to take to bring all of that back to where it needs to be and ideally begin to eat meat again if they are willing. You know, there are some people due to religious reasons that they're never going to do it and that's fine, but then we need to address it from a different perspective, which I've just mentioned. And, you know, ideally you make your life a whole lot easier by not being a vegan or a vegetarian if you are struggling to conceive. It's really that simple. I had a very similar conversation a while back um, in an earlier episode with doc, uh, Dr. Terry Walls and same sort of thing. Uh, she'd been vegetarian as well for, you know, for a really long period in her life. Uh, it didn't, it wasn't conducive to her well-being. Uh, it yeah. didn't heal her problems, but uh, she also respects that if someone comes to her and really, 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 really won't or can't eat meat, like mm-hmm. there is a workaround, mm-hmm. but, but, and that's fine and she'll do it. But I got the feeling that she'd rather not do the workaround. She'd rather yeah. get people onto yeah. eating meat. Absolutely, because at the end of the day, what happens is that it's going to be a whole lot more manageable and lasting. And, you know, you can decrease, all of a sudden, you're already decreasing a whole heap of chemicals and things that ideally should not be in the diet and in the environment right, of the person trying to conceive. So, the, you know, ideally, very, very much so. Um, I prefer when people are not vegetarians yeah interesting all right i'll, I'll just send you meat eaters that's it <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, we need to do all of the testing that we need done and take all the disgusting things that we get them to take yeah and that's cool because if if someone really wants to go down that path you've got the workaround ready to go and that's awesome yeah exactly yeah cool all right uh talk to me about what's next for you what what are you cooking up at the moment it sounds like you're doing more research yes i'm definitely doing more research i've got two new books coming out next year plus we're actually working uh on updating the three books that we already have uh to be more focused on the research but really for me personally it's it's all because it's very much about research now it's looking at, you know, running clinical trials, designing and running clinical trials uh, on this whole aspect of environmental factors, lifestyle and fertility, you know, and looking at how we can be optimising things because I know that there are certainly, my, my clinical practice proves that and now it's um, very much looking at how can we bring that out to a greater audience. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, I'm so excited for anyone who's into any sort of, of natural medicine who's going down that research path uh, and it, it's just wonderful to see more of that happening as science is going to catch up and prove some of the stuff that as a naturopath we've known for a long time absolutely it's, it's and, great to see the evidence starting yeah, to come up because yeah. then you can't dispute it anymore so exactly. yeah go you exactly and it was fascinating you know that you just said it Jules um 20 years ago we were talking about, you know, avoiding coffee, avoiding alcohol, avoiding plastics, you know, like literally exactly what we talk about now. What has happened is that now we just have more words to show why, <laughs> you yep. know. Yep. And if that's what it takes, then let's play the game and, uh, and let's bring, you know, the, the obvious evidence that, you know, if you had common sense, you could arrive at. But since the whole world is going evidence-based medicine, Let's play That's the game. That's cool. We'll do that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give the people what they want. That's it. That's it. 
<laughs> awesome. All right. Now you mentioned your uh, fertility challenge. So I'm sure there'll be some people who want to check that out. Uh, so can you please let everyone know how to find it? Yeah, absolutely. They just go to our website at www.naturalfertilitybreakthrough.com or just Google Gabriella Rosa Fertility Challenge and you will get to a page that will allow you to register. It's free. It's online. People from all over the world participate and it's really, it's, I'm very proud of it. It's a wonderful event. Yeah. And there's heaps of other cool stuff on your website as well. I had a bit of a look earlier today. There's like heaps of posts and information there. So as well as the challenge. So yeah, get on there and have a look around because there's, there's heaps of stuff to help you get healthier while you're trying to have a baby. And if you're not trying to have a baby, but you've got issues with reproductive system, go and have a look anyway. Seriously. Yeah, definitely. It's very helpful. Yeah, because the, the state of your reproductive system is just reflective of the state of your overall health anyway. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And, you know, a lot of people complain about period pain and, you know, all of those things that we know when often, even if they have endometriosis, if they optimise their health and decrease inflammation in the system, you know, all of that improves. So absolutely. Yeah, cool. And you're on social media as well, are you? Yeah, yeah. So we've got there's the Gabriella Rosa page on Facebook called Natural Fertility Breakthrough as well. We're on Instagram. We've got a couple of accounts. Uh, there's Gabriella Rosa Fertility and, and the Fertile Method. Um, so, yeah, lots of places to reach out. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing your wisdom and shedding a bit of light on an issue that touches so many women and so many couples at the moment. So I really thank you for your time and good luck with your research and we will be following closely. Oh, wonderful. My pleasure, Jules. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Gabriella. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Straight Talking Natural Health. If you liked what you heard, hit subscribe. That way you'll never miss an instalment. If you're a fan, please take a moment to leave me a review on iTunes. It helps other listeners to find this podcast too. Also, check out my website at julesgalloway.com. You'll find all the podcast episodes there along with loads of blog posts and resources to help you on the path back to finding your happy, energized self again. There's also a free quiz to help you assess your risk of burnout and adrenal dysfunction. So if you've been burning the candle at both ends, or maybe you've been super busy or stressed recently, take the quiz now to see where your body is at. That's at julesgalloway.com. And let's connect. Follow my adventures on Facebook and Instagram at Jules Galloway Health and join our pumping Facebook group. Just search for Straight Talking Natural Health or follow the links in the show notes. Till next time, remember, look after your awesome self because it gives others permission to do the same. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.